What's up, guys? It's Friday, February 5th, 2021, and this is another edition of the FritzCast. How's everybody doing today? How's everybody feeling today? We feeling all right? We feeling good? Because you got to get ready. You got to strap yourselves in for this one, because my guest today is the one and only Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp, of course, is a very uh, uh, influential libertarian voice, at least to me. He is a former New York uh, governor candidate. Uh, former uh, vice presidential potential candidate for the Libertarian Party, and we actually discuss a little bit about this past election cycle and and some of the problems with with libertarians and libertarian ideology and how to uh, branch away from our sort of echo chambers that, that we've created and we've developed and how to move on from that. And uh, and but we also talk in depth about a lot of other things too, like strategy, things like COVID and government handling of this of these issues, and a host of other things too. And it's just a absolutely great conversation. And Larry is just a monster because before he sat down with me for this interview, I had finished watching about an hour and fifteen minutes of a live stream that he was doing on the Sharp Way. And then he took a little bathroom break, got a little drink, and we went off for nearly an hour uh, on these topics. So uh, I, a lot of love for Larry and a lot of appreciation. His links and uh, his links in the social media are going to be linked in the description below. So if you don't know him already and aren't following him, you need to. You need to follow him. You need to follow Sharpway. He goes live at least a couple of days every week, and it is 100% worth it in my book so guys buckle up larry sharp on the fritz cast right now larry sharp welcome to the fritz cast how are you this evening sir doing amazing thank you sir for having me i appreciate it yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And then we were just talking off air. I mean, you're a monster, man. You just finished up a two hour live stream or an hour live stream at least. And now you're yep. coming on, you're talking with me. So I, I really did an hour and 15, uh, got something to drink, bathroom break, back here with you, brother. That's how yeah, it works. Yeah. No breaks for you, man. No breaks. No, I, I got I do a lot, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been talking about making the movement stronger, better, faster for about five years now. My plan started in 2016 and i said i had about a seven to ten year plan because the COVID is 10 so i got a 10-year plan for <laughs> sure um so it's a 10-year plan i've been in five i got five left to make enough impact and my hope is by 2026 that we actually have actual federal representation at, at, you know as a libertarian that's what I, my goal is by 2026 and the only way I do that is by getting my message out there. So literally I produce anywhere from eight to 12 hours of live content every single week. I just keep pumping it out there to the best of my ability at letting people talk to me. I do everything live and no script. So that when I ran my campaign for governor, same thing. I did a year and a half, everything live, no script. I did three debates, no script, one every debate. That was the reason why I'm, I'm doing it because I want people to see that I followed Gary Johnson model. Some people I just triggered them, I'm sure. Oh, uh, I just followed, which is, it's a very simple model. Um, I just do it better than him now. 
Uh, but but the model is just tell the truth, and you know you don't have to remember anything. And you know I'm I try to be much more of an instinctive libertarian than a a book libertarian. If that makes any sense. No, I think it does make sense, and uh, and there's there's a lot of, there's a lot I could pick apart with uh, with that. Um, but before I get pick into away, that, brother, pick away. Well, yeah, I mean, like you say, a book a book libertarian versus um what was the other version? Instinctive. Instinctive. Like I, I talk to libertarians about this all the time. When people are when my friends in my circle are interested in what my philosophy is for for politics. Uh, they ask me a lot of questions because they know I'm a libertarian and they know that I don't I don't follow the status quo, you know, yep. so to speak. But when they ask me like, oh, well, what, what are some things I should look at for libertarianism? I'm not the type that throws down like, you know, big, giant, thick philosophy books <laughs> on them, especially not if it's their first go around, because for me, I'm I'm a nerd. I might like that. But right. for somebody else, I throw them down Rothbard. And that might be a little bit intimidating for them. Absolutely. Here, so, Atlas Shrugged, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. Like, yes. I, you, can give them, you can give them stacks and stacks and stacks. Or, sure. like, honestly, like, I point my friends in your direction. I'm like, well, Thank you know, watch, you. watch Sharp Way. Watch Larry Thank Sharp you. because he'll talk to you about modern-day things and modern-day applications. He's not going to give you this, this truckload of philosophy that you're going to have to read three other books to try to unpack but they're going to want to go there. And I thank you for doing that, brother, because that's exactly my goal, right? People get mad at me all the time. You're not this enough. You're not left enough. You're not right enough. You're not libertarian enough. I'm the recruiter. I know my job. My job is to bring people to the movement. My audience isn't libertarians. My audience is people on the edge. That's my audience. I bring them here. Look, I was a Marine for seven years, still Marine in my head. But I was a Marine for seven years. And, you know, when you go to Marine Corps boot camp, you don't go to boot camp a Marine. You go to boot camp a civilian and you come out a Marine. Well, I'm bringing people to the movement as not really good libertarians. I know that. And 72 libertarians get mad at me and say, well, these people aren't libertarian. And my answer is, then train them. I brought them to you open to hear, stop yelling at them and scolding them and instead start having the conversations required because you know this, man. If you spend a year with us, you either become more libertarian or you leave. That's how it works. So I'm bringing them. If they wash out, they wash out. But if they don't wash out, a year from now, they're going to be begging you for Rothbard books. Yep. They're going to be begging you. Like my first one I give, if I ever give one, is Bastiat's The Law. It's short. It's easy. That's that's my beginner one. If someone actually wants a book, I always say do Bastiat's The Law. It's simple. It's short. And they get into that. And before you know it, you know, then they go down the, the rabbit hole, which is where I want them to go eventually. But I don't want to scare them off. So, yes, if you notice the sharp way, you rarely see a libertarian on my show. I'm the only libertarian. People on my show are oh, Democrats, Republicans, whatever. They're, they're other you know, specialty people, celebrity types that I can get, whatever celebrity I can possibly get. So I take those. But it's rare you find a libertarian on my show. I, I don't do that. Yeah. Do you think that uh, do you think that libertarian content that's being produced right now, do you think that some of it is a little too enclosed in the echo chamber? Like, I'm just going to build up my libertarian audience because they already love me and they'll just love me more. 
instead of, all right, no, I'm going to really like, I'm going to push against the grains here and the edges and I'm going to reach out, bring people on that don't agree with me. And we're going to discuss things, you know, at length about how we would handle this in different ways. Our, our podcast eco chamber is very bad mm -hmm. and it's bad for two reasons. One, we talk to ourselves a lot. Yep. I think far too much, which is why I don't. Right. I, you, not on my show. I go into other echo chambers all the time. I go, I actually try to get myself into either Democrat or Republicans too. I try to, the Republicans are more open to me, Democrats less, but I go there too. I'll go to blue politic. I'll go right into the Democrat Republican, you know, uh, places. I'll happily go there, but I have a rule. I don't debate. That's yep. the second reason why we have a problem in the libertarian party, because we always are about debating and debating is the wrong answer. You rarely ever see me debate. In fact, I try to never debate. Even when I ran for the VP, I didn't want to debate. I don't want to debate. And why would I want to debate a libertarian? That's worse. Yeah. We're going to agree on 95% of things. And then we're going to yell at each other because they want to end the Fed in 10 years and I want to end it in five. And now we're evil and not real, real libertarians. Right? Is that really what we want to fight on? That How long will it take to dismantle the Fed? Is that really what we're going to fight on? And we wind up doing stuff like that. And I don't want to do that. So I try to have much, many more conversations than yeah. I have debates. Always been my thing, right? It, the reason why I don't like debates is because there's always a winner or a loser. Yeah. And if I make someone feel like a loser, they're not going to join me. No, that, 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 that's absolutely that. true. That's absolutely true. And I think that focusing on it as a debate, not everything is a debate. Uh, if we're having a discussion of things, mm. obviously we're going to have disagreements and that's cool, especially yep. because we can maybe, if we're doing things civilly and in good faith, we will come to disagreements, but we'll figure out why we have the disagreements. I think yes. the why is far more important than just I'm right. And, and this is why I'm right. A hundred percent. And on top of that, if you, if I have a discussion, a couple of things might pop up. Number one, I might be wrong. Fritz, I could be wrong. Facts. Right? I could be yep. wrong. I mean, I always think I'm right, but that's not always true, right? And I've been on my show, literally, I've, I've walked down the road because my show's always live, so people are always commenting while the show is on. So sometimes I'll change my mind mid-show. I'd yep. be like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe that is the right way of doing things. So I've actually changed my mind right on the show, openly. I could be wrong is number one, but number two, I might just be off. And maybe that one tweak that you give me, that's the plan, right? I was, I was falling, this one part didn't work, but Fritz had the piece that I needed, right? That now my plan is even better. So that's why I like discussions so much because things actually get done. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think overall, in in the libertarian realm like especially with the with the national party i feel like that there's just this lack of direction when it comes to that i mean i, I don't know if you see that it, it, the way that i see it because it seems to me that it's always about either nitpicking things or just focusing on a presidential election and not local elections you know th that's something else that i think libertarians we butt heads with uh each other all the time like we just had an election. We had the 2020 national election. We're picking it apart now with, you know, was Joe Jorgensen good enough? Was the messaging there? Was the messaging off? And then, but like, Are I've had the really opportunity. Are people picking it apart now? 
I, well, I think some people are to, to oh. an extent. Um, you know, I, I mean, hear about it ever. No. How'd you feel I about it? But I don't, I don't spend that much time in the libertarian world before with you. Right. Right. So I don't hear about the election much at all. I mean, I mean, all I ever hear is, you know, Trump or Biden. It's very rare that I hear about George Orgerson at all. And most people don't pick apart. They, they either say something, they either say very good or very bad. You'll hear most people I know will either say, oh, I love Joe. She was so sweet or something like that. Or they go, she was yeah. terrible because she said these things that I hate. I usually get one of those two and yeah. I just go whatever and move on. That, so. that, that's that's kind of where I'm getting with it, because uh, I, I over the course of the election, there was a lot of that going on because it, and it was, you know, it was down to what I call the dumb stuff. It, it was this tweet or this message, you know, and we can- No, it was, look, that, the, but... the reality of it is we got, when you look at what happened, mm-hmm. we got everybody's second choice. Yeah. And the reason we got that is because we were, we were too insular in our own party and we fought left versus right. And the left side didn't want the right side to take over and the right side didn't want the left side to take over. And oh my God, the world's going to end. So all the people who sat in those caucuses and left and right ensured that no one from the other caucus would cross vote at all. So yeah. neither one of them could win. So we all got our second choice. Yeah. That's what actually that, happened. That, so that we, fair way of putting it, I would yes. think. So when you get your, when you get everybody's second choice, you're going to have a mediocre candidate. Yeah. And we had a mediocre candidate. Yeah. And when you have a mediocre candidate, you get a mediocre run. And we had a mediocre run. That's how it works, right? It's, it's not rocket science. So yeah. that's how it works. I gave people the plan in 2016. They didn't want to hear it. I gave them the plan again in 2020. They didn't want to hear it. People were upset with me. Larry, why didn't you run for VP? Oh my God, you would have been much better VP. No, I wouldn't have been. Why would I do that? For what possible reason? Uh, my whole goal, and if you want to really break down the problem with 2016 and 2020, um, the number one problem was one thing, the 50 state strategy. That doesn't work. It was never going to work. And anyone who thinks it's going to work, I don't want to be with because you're going to waste my time enjoy, go do your thing. I have other things to do. So I crossed New York state instead, trying to make people still remember who I was so that I can, you know, get some victories. I only got six victories in my state this year, last year, which sucked. I got 103 the year before I got six this year. So not great, but I got some. So I still got some libertarians elected locally because to your point, local is critical. And we want to be making the, the national ticket support the local to the best of our ability, not during the campaign after the campaign. That's what I did. When I ran for governor in 2018, I lost my election, but I got the highest amount of votes that any libertarians ever got in my state. Um, yep. And I got ballot access for my state and I raised half a million dollars. So mm-hmm. I had a very successful libertarian right run. Right, right. And with that, I then crossed the state again the next year, hitting all 62 counties, and we got 103 victories. Why? Because the press knew who I was from my last run and they followed me across the state and now I wasn't running in 2019, but I was crossed the state anyway, and I was supporting the local candidates because I was a minor celebrity in New York State. So the press would show up. Oh, former gubernatorial candidates showing up. And then they got press and then they won. Yep. That's what we should be thinking about for a national. And I've said that before, but people don't want to hear me. It's fine. I don't care. They'll do what they're going to do. I, I, have, I have to keep working. So I keep doing my job either way. The second thing is the way I was able to have success in New York. I live in New York City. So much stuff is going on in my city. I can't get any press in my city. It's 8 million people doing stupid stuff in my city. I, I right. can't get any press, right? So what did I do? 
I went to areas where there weren't many things happening. I'd go to a small town someplace in upstate New York where literally they can, they can you know, cover the cow escaping or me, right? right. And the cow's going to escape next week too. So they cover me this week because I happen to show up. So boom, yeah. I show up and I get press. Now it's local press. It's a local newspaper. And people say, well, Larry, what a waste of time. What, a couple hundred people read that paper? Yes, that's true. But the people who read the paper, they vote. If you read your local paper, you vote. That I can guarantee you. So while it's a small audience, it's the right audience. It's also the audience that writes the letter to the editor. It's also the audience that, re that watches the local news. So when I go into that paper, all of a sudden, most people don't know this either. The local papers have been devastated, mostly through private equity firm buyouts for the past yeah. 10 to 20 years. So now one local writer will write for six or seven papers, sometimes under one pen name, sometimes under two. So I get a, the, the local guy writing about me in one paper. Now I'm in six papers. Now the average person doesn't know how big the paper is. So now I put that on social media. Larry Sharp's getting press. Oh my God, he's rocking and rolling. People start seeing that because all those local papers also have a social media component. You now put that out on top of that. Now the local, the closest city, their local city picks it up. And then before you know it, I'm on statewide TV. And that's what began to happen, right? I went locally. In fact, in certain, certain small districts, upstate New York, I got 26% of the vote because hmm. I was the only guy who showed up. So why do I, what am I saying this? We should do this nationally. Pick four or five states. I don't know, Wyoming, I'm making that up, right? Wyoming, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, whatever the states are. Focus early on, a year and a half out. Focus on those states. And then all of a sudden, now as they're primarying and such is happening, we start polling in those states. Libertarian starts polling at 20% in any given state, doesn't matter what state it is. That's national news. Now you make national news by focusing local first. So you start making national news now. Now you yeah. start making big polls. Now you start getting in the actual polls. Of course you do. Now you start raising money where you can buy polls yourself. That's how that works. You begin to make that happen. Then before you know, you have two choices. One, you make the percentages to get in the debate stage if they allow you in the debate stage. Or you still are able to get national news. And if you, even if you can't, instead then, once it's now uh, almost towards election time, you focus on the state you're doing best in. Say you're doing the best, again, sake of argument, Wyoming, New Mexico, whatever that is. You focus on that the last three months of a campaign. You win one state. I don't care what state it is. You win one state. You lose the election. You win one state. They show that damn electoral college map of the country 80 bazillion times, right? Yeah. Imagine on that map is one yellow state. Mm. One gold state. Just one. You've just validated every single local candidate for the next four years because yeah. now we're a real party. We affect the national debate. That's our story. That's what we say. People believe it. They see the gold and they ask, what's that gold? Why is Nevada gold? Or why is that Wyoming gold? Oh, that's libertarians. Oh, they're a thing? Yeah, they're a thing. In fact, two of them are running it for town, for town council. Holy cow, I had no idea. Boom. We become real when that happens. I wanted that in 2016. I wanted it in 2020. I hope I'll get it in 2024. No, and I hope to join you in that effort too, because I, I've had far more fun even talking to local libertarians running because they can break down issues that are like directly applicationable mm -hmm. 
if they get elected to their position, how they would be directly impacting policy on a local scale. Plus, these are the guys that go out and they're knocking on people's doors. They're talking yes. to people directly. And a lot of people, I don't know why people don't think that this is like some really like old timey strategy that doesn't work. But even in talking with my own uh, state senator uh, representative, who was a Republican on the show, um, that was his strategy going door to door, knocking AOC to the constituency. Yes. AOC is my congressperson. She knocked on my door. I'm not That's, joking. Yeah. She's Mike. I wasn't named my wife is here, but she was still, she knocked on my door. Yeah. She's, she's literally my congressperson. It worked then. It does work. Me traveling around the state. It worked. People knew who I was, but you made a, a, a big valid point here. The second reason, a, a big reason, I should say, why libertarian candidates often fail is because most libertarian candidates, not all, but most are just rhetoric machines. Yeah. And we as libertarians love it, right? We ask them a question, you know, how are you going to deal with healthcare? Just get government out. And we go, oh, so good. Oh, and we clap and say, great, principled libertarian. That answer is great for libertarians. That answer means nothing to anyone out of our echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. It means nothing to your next door, nothing. nothing to your next door neighbor. Nothing. Because I've it talked to nothing. my next neighbors. Yep. And they, it's the same thing. They, it's the same thing when you start waving the uh, the taxation is theft banner. You yep. know, it's a great catchphrase, but literally everybody else is like, but what about everything Correct. else that's in play? And to be clear, I'm not against saying taxation is theft. I'm not against any of those things. If you're an activist, right? We need activists, right? We have to, I talk about this often. We have to realize that we have to break our party up in our heads, in our heads, in the different roles that we're playing. Are you playing the activist role now? Are you playing the candidate role now? Are you playing the volunteer role now, the donor role now? Very often we mix and match those roles almost on a daily basis. But when I'm playing the activist role, maybe I should yell taxation. It depends. I'm trying to get people to understand something. My goal as an activist is to get people to get that this issue, whatever the issue is, matters. And I need to do what it takes to get people to go, oh, that does matter. As a candidate, no. As a candidate, I have to have an answer for that problem. And I hope my activists have been effective and have let the, the community know that there is a problem, right? That's their job. Get, get them to understand this is a problem. And they go, yeah, it's a problem. How do we solve it? Here's Mr. Candidate. Here's Miss Candidate. She will show you how to solve this problem. Oh, I'm gonna vote for her, bingo. That would be the perfect way of making it happen. We're not very good at that yet. We have to work on that piece our candidates sometimes still think they're activists and don't shift into the, you have to have a solution mode. Yelling, whatever, get government out isn't good enough. It's not bad to start if you've got an answer for it, but to your point, they always go, but what about? And if you can answer the, but what about? They are blown away because Democrats and Republicans can't answer that either, but they don't have to because they're in a duopoly, which means all I have to say as a Democrat or Republican is, I'm not the other guy. That's all I have to do. Biden's entire campaign was, I am so not Trump. That was his entire campaign. What about health care? I'm not Trump. What about the foreign policy? Did I tell you I'm not Trump? What about uh, the economy? I am so not Trump. And it worked for him. That's how it works. I'm not the other guy works. Uh, yeah. But when you're third party, no, it does not. When you are third party, you have it is completely unfair 
and still true, you have to have answers. The reason why I was able to get on a lot of good, popular podcasts and media was because people liked my ideas. They liked my policies. They were like, that's a good policy. I would actually, that would actually solve something, Larry. Yeah, it would. And people liked it. Yeah. That's no, and, and did, now, do you think that there's a way that, for example, LP National or even the state LPs can try to train up their candidates for, for something like that? Or do you think that that hinges a lot on the people that decide to run themselves? Well, national, no, other than national can. The, the, the hard part is our party is still stuck in an idea that I disagree with completely. And I know I'm an oddball on this, but, I, but I've been against this for a long time. We're under the world that we got to run a lot of candidates. Mm-hmm. We got to run candidates. We can't run up running candidates. I think that is a terrible idea. Yeah. I think it only hurts us. But I'm obviously in the minority here. Um, well, no, there's no one running. We got to get somebody. No, we don't. No, we need to find the right people to run and get big teams behind them. And if I got on, if I only have 10 libertarians in my county and all 10 are running, who's on a team? Nobody. I got 10 people running their own campaigns by themselves, doing nothing, working maybe an hour a week. So they're paper candidates. Well, we got it. We had a candidate. Nobody cares. Yeah. And I hear all the time, well, branding. There's no branding. No one knows what libertarian is. And what they think of is always bad. The reason why people come to our movement, and this is not 100% rule, but it's a good 99% rule, is because they heard somebody say something that made sense to them. Yeah. They heard Mary Ruhr talk about healthcare and went, wow, who's she? She makes, she makes sense. And they came to us. They heard, uh, you know, Ron Paul talk about the wars and went, what? That makes sense. And they went out and they came. They heard Gary Johnson talk about small business. Boom. And they came. They heard somebody talk about something that made sense to them. And then they came over. So why would I think being a libertarian on a ballot is the, is the most critical piece? It isn't. It's having talented, good candidates backed by strong activists good volunteers and a donor base. I would rather have one powerhouse candidate in a county than four that are just struggling. Give me one. But Larry won't be on the ballot. So what? We've been trying to get in the ballot for 50 years. What have we, what have we gotten? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that plays into, uh, we were just talking about the rhetoric and being rhetoric machines, but sometimes the rhetoric that they're, touching up on isn't even the hot topic of the day like yes. right now we have right now we have so many things that you could be talking about we have covid on on a, a nationwide level that we could be talking about we have yep. uh we have social media and censorship which they're trying to rope government into yep that impacts everybody everybody yeah uh you, we have you saw my my podcast i literally came up with a covid plan for vaccines three months ago yeah and it was a plan that didn't require any extra taxes, used the free market, and was voluntary. That's a libertarian policy. Absolutely. 100%. And that's a libertarian policy. And you know who used it? West Virginia. They used that policy. And you know what happened? The highest vaccination rates in the country. That is success. Libertarian policies don't work. I just watched it happen last month. Yeah. And that's why I go online and say my policy up front. So if someone goes, you're just taking credit for West Virginia. I'm not. That was literally my policy. Go check it. I said exactly what they did. I said that. You did commentary on yourself, which was very hilarious, by the way. That's correct. 
Yes. I commented on myself saying that to say, see, I told you so. And if you go on my COVID uh, plan, my COVID plan I put together last March. Yeah. How to deal with COVID. 10 videos on my Sharpway YouTube page. If anybody cares, head to my Sharpway YouTube page. There's 10 videos there in a separate playlist. Exactly how to deal with COVID and how to pay for it. Done. Again, all voluntary, no extra taxes. Yeah. And it would have worked. Not to mention the fact that you're not even a candidate for anything right now, but you came up with a COVID plan. This is what drives me crazy. You know, my, sh- my LarrySharp.com from mm-hmm. when I ran for governor, all my policies still there. People don't take it. Libertarians yeah. don't take it. I literally give them policy and I've told them if you're running, you know, for office, have one of your people reach out to me. I'll do a show on your policy. And then they can watch it and help draw your policy from one of my shows. It won't be perfect, obviously, because your local area will be different than my area. But the concept will be good. Take it. I'm begging you to take my policy. One of the best parts, I was actually um, going across the state last, last year. I did 62 events last year during COVID, believe it or not. Um, in upstate New York. And I had people who were running who were literally saying my policy. And I was hmm. like, he's got great policy. Yeah. Serious. I did not mention it was mine because I'm to your point. I'm not running now. They are. It's yeah. now their policy. Well done. When I run, it becomes mine again. But I'm not running. It's your policy now. Take yeah. the policy. Please take. If my policy will help you run, please just steal it blatantly. Just take it. <laughs> Don't give me any credit. Just yeah. take it. Call it yours. Say you're a genius. I'll have you on my show and I'll say what a genius you are. Absolutely. That's, yes. that's a blueprint for success, everybody. <laughs> I want victory. I want impact. I'm not doing this just to do it, right? People say, Larry, well, you got to keep running. I only ran once. We don't, I only ran one time. Yeah. But yeah. when I ran, I took a year and a half out of my life. And yeah. why did I do that? Because I wanted others to realize that's how you run a campaign. Yeah. If you can't take the run seriously... Don't run. You're not doing me a favor. Don't run. You're hurting us. Run if you are in a position to make impact, whatever that is, depending upon your run, right? For some people, you can make impact with two days a week. Some people, you got to stop working. Depends upon what you're doing and what you're running for. And an impact doesn't mean win. It means impact that you've left an imprint. We say, I got to give people a choice. People don't want a choice. Yeah. If they wanted a choice, there'd be more than two parties. They don't want a choice. That's lies we tell each other. It's just not true. Well, people want freedom. No, they don't. They, they don't want freedom. The COVID lockdowns have shown us this. They want to answer their problems. Well, people hate government. No, they don't. They love government. They'd be happy with a benevolent dictator. Yeah, absolutely. Just solve their problems. These are stories yeah. that we've told ourselves for years and they're all lies, but we just tell ourselves it so much that we think it's true. No, if you want people to come to you, give them libertarian answers for their problems. They'll come to you. Yeah. It literally is that simple. 100%. And then in, in, in going off of your example of West Virginia, though, everybody probably has in their state some example that they can look at where some governmental failure came into play. I mean, here in Delaware, they had a dr- they set up a drive through COVID vaccination clinic that was supposed to be for like a phase one healthcare workers, elderly, yada, yada. And a ton of people who weren't even supposed to be there drove through and got the vaccination. 
<laughs> How does that happen? Yes. How does that happen? Why why is nobody in my state that I could tell picking apart how, where were the failures? How did that come into play? Were there gaps in the plan that were put out? But I'm not seeing that. And I'm sure there's 49 other states. I'm sure that people can look at their local level and find these misfirings going around. And it's from government. It's a mistake that somebody made or an oversight or something that just wasn't planned well. Yes, but the, the problem is with a two-party system, I don't have to actually do anything right. No. I simply have to not be the other, right? Sure. I'm protecting you from the evil one, right? If I'm in the blue state, I'm protecting you from those evil Republicans. If I'm in a red state, I'm protecting you from those evil Democrats. That's it. That's all I'm doing, which is one of the reasons why I push third party. And when I'm talking to Democrats, Republicans, one of the things that makes them rethink is when I talk about how are you ever going to have an actual referee? Mm -hmm. How are you going to actually have how are you going to actually, you know, hold your own party accountable? And most Democrats, Republicans don't care and they ignore yeah. me. But some go, that's, yeah, I, I hate my, my local Democrat, but you voted for him. Well, he's not a Republican. Okay, got it. So clearly you can never vote for the evil Republican. I got you because you're from New York City and you would never do that because that would be sacrilege. So you vote for a Democrat and hold your nose. I got it. But then how do you keep that Democrat then? How do you hold them accountable? Um, um, yeah. What if there was a third party? What if there was a viable third party? And what I get is always, well, you guys could never, you're never going to get 51%. We don't have to. It's a third party. We don't. Yeah. Imagine if right now there were two libertarians in the Senate. Yeah. Right now. Insane. We would, we would run the Senate because with a swing vote, literally Absolutely. two yeah. libertarians in the Senate right now, we would run the Senate. Two libertarians in, in the Senate and say 20 in the House. Yeah. We run the government. You have to start convincing those guys to get on your side Absolutely. rather than us convincing you to get on our side. And I give you an actual example of this. There was only one libertarian congressman last year. That was Justin Amash. Right. And when um, George Floyd died, the right yelled back the blue and the left yelled defund the police. And they changed nothing. They Absolutely. yelled at each other and changed nothing. But Justin Amash didn't do that. He actually said, let me put together an idea to try to fix this. And it was based upon qualified immunity, ending it, ending qualified immunity. And being a libertarian, he couldn't push it himself. So what did he do? He went across both aisles and talked to Democrats and got some to sponsor it and went across to the Republicans and got some to sponsor it and created the first tripartisan bill ever. Yep. That's what every libertarian will do. They don't have a choice. We will have to find unity as everyone screams and yells about unity. Only libertarians can create unity because we're the only ones that both can talk to. If you're a Democrat now, can you actually cross the aisle and talk to a Republican? No, you get primaried. If you're a Republican, can you cross the aisle to talk to a Democrat? No, you get primaried. And the be best example I'll give you of that is in the case of the idea of not having a new domestic uh, terrorism war, right? A war on domestic terrorism, both AOC and Ted Cruz agreed. Uh, yeah. So you would think, great, we have a coalition. No, AOC told Ted Cruz, go away, you should, re you should resign. Yep, yep. So she said, she didn't go, awesome, I could actually work with a guy like Ted Cruz on something. That would nope. be amazing. Look at the unity. She didn't say yeah. that. She Her said, bye, get out, yeah. resign. 
her response exactly was, I will work with literally any other GOP person but you. <laughs> yes. And nobody else comes forward. Yes. So it was, I'm not doing it. And that's my point. She doesn't want to lose her seat either. But what if Ted Cruz wasn't Ted Cruz? What if he was Justin Amash? Yeah. Or insert any libertarian. But at that point, only one was, was, was Justin Amash. But any libertarian. If it was libertarian, we have a shot. But Larry, will Democrats really work libertarians? Yes. Justin Amash proved that already. I proved that in my state because I got over 100,000 votes and there were only 7,000 registered libertarians in my state. Yeah. So clearly some Democrats voted for me. Absolutely. Because my state's three to one Democrats Republican. So clearly some Democrats voted for me. So yes, we are, we are the only way to heal this country. We are the only way to unify this country. We're the only answer. But we think we have to fight and yell and scream. No, the way to do it is to keep talking. Lots and lots of patience and lots and lots of talking. This is a long-term solution. This is the long game. I said I got 10 years. Look, it took Gandhi 27 years to beat the British. took Mandela 27 years to end apartheid. I'm only five years and I got 22 left. So we still got time before we fix this thing. I'm all right, but I'm still moving forward. I'm not going to give it 27. I'll give it 10. You pick it up afterwards, Fritz. Yeah, yeah. um, (laughs) Exactly. But that is actually, that's more of my philosophy of thinking. I'm, when I, when people ask me, what's my dynamic libertarian plan, you know, in my lifetime, I'm like, everything is incremental changes. It's Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like how I hate LP national for focusing, hyper-focusing on the presidential elections. Like we're never going to get the president as a libertarian if there's not libertarians and all the other aspects of government working on things. So it's not like we can vote magically get the libertarian president in and then like thanos they snap away half of the bad government or whatever that'd be kind of awesome it would be it'd be awesome (laughs) it would be awesome but it's straight out of a comic book because i think we got to write a comic book now for it so i think we got to maybe we do maybe (laughs) we do and that's fine we could do that but when we're talking realistically right yeah we need to have this this plan in place and we need to realize that the end game is to incrementally walk there like it's almost like how you said when libertarians debate we we agree on 95 percent of things the five percent that we don't is the stuff that is kind of trivial to be debating about because if the end goal is to end the fed does it matter if it's five years or ten years if the plan is in place and slowly scales it down but i'm gonna go to two spots on this one i'm the fed is one but the other one is the 95 percent Sure. I actually go by the 80-20 rule. And my I was going to ask you rule, about you. Yep, is if I agree with you 80% of the time, you're an ally. Yeah. It doesn't mean you should be my presidential nominee. Doesn't mean that. But it does mean you're an ally. I shouldn't be yelling and screaming and be mad at you, right? Cuz you're t- 80% of the time we agree, which means we can be in alliance. We can be behind each other. We as libertarians somehow decided that if I don't agree on something, I can't support you. I'm trying to break that concept. I supported Gary Johnson completely. Did I agree with everything? No, of Hell course no. not. <laughs> but I still support him. I voted for Joe Jorgens. Did I agree with her? No, but I, but she was still better than the other two. So I voted for her, right? So it's fine, right? I mean, I supported, it's a, the personal level. I supported uh, Judge Jim Gray to, to win the, the presidential nominee, nominee, uh, nomination last year. I thought he was had the best chance for one important reason. 
he was the only candidate who actually agreed with my my small state strategy. Every other candidate wanted a 50 state strategy. So they were all going to lose and have a mediocre campaign at best, no matter who won, unless someone actually figured out what I was talking about. He was like, Larry, you're right. I'm on board. Let's do this. I'm like, good. You're the guy. You're the one who can do this. You're the one who can maybe actually get us to win a state. Maybe a guy like him could win Utah, right? Maybe he could have won Utah, Wyoming or something. And we could have got that actual, you know, uh, piece that I wanted. Maybe we could have done that with someone like him. That's why I was behind him. Now he is behind 100% the idea of a negative income tax, negative income ta- income tax, which is kind of a UBI type. Yeah. I'm not a UBI fan. I've never been one. I'm still not a UBI fan. Um, did I support the, the negative income tax? No, I didn't. Did I support him? Yes. 80-20 rule. Yes, it's fine. People asked him about the negative, negative income tax. I told people exactly what his plan was, how he thought it was going to work, and I was behind it because I was behind him. Yeah. But if I run, I'm not talking negative income tax. I'm not a fan of UBI. And that's okay. I, I'm not against you if you are. It's fine. Right. If that's the one thing that, you know, you're on and the other 90 percent of the time you're on board, we're good. I will still support you. I will still support you. Because the reality of it is the odds are the judge wasn't going to win. That's the odds. I get that. So Mm -hmm. why am I going to fight over that when the odds of even getting a negative income tax ever implemented was slim to none? And even if he did get it implemented, you know what else we'd get? End of the war on drugs. End of the military industrial complex, end of the Fed. Fine, I'll take negative income tax. Yeah, yeah. There's a fine line to be walking. Yeah. I would I would take it. If I got all those other things and that was the price to pay, I'm in. We'll do I think it. that's I think that's the same thing. A lot of people were arguing a, a couple of weeks or maybe a couple months back when Thomas Massey was commenting on um the, the bill for marijuana legalization. And they were they were going into some of the nitty-gritty details and they were like well, this is implementing a, a, a tax on it. You know, taxation is theft. And I'm like, if it legalizes marijuana and helps end the drug war, I can live with the fact that they're taxing something that people would be voluntarily buying at this point. I'll give you a, uh, a, a, an example of, of in New York State. I was trying to find a way of allowing people who are more conservative in New York State to deal with, handle the idea of decriminalizing Uh, cannabis. And it was hard. There were a lot of very uh, conservative people in upstate New York who just think all drugs are bad. So it's hard to get them to do that. So what I said was, we should should do it, you know, for farmers to give them a cash crop. And they're like, oh, huh. (laughs) Turn it into money. Yes. For upstate farmers. Like, oh. I said, not just that, you know, now we can have cannabis products for medicine for all the people who have chronic pain and stuff like that. And all of a sudden now you can, if you can't afford your medicine, Grow it in your backyard. Yep. People are like, oh, huh. And then I said, not just that. You know all the addiction problems we're having. What if you use a cannabis product to help deal with the withdrawal symptoms to increase the odds that now an addict can no longer be an addict or won't at least be using? Oh, wow. I said, we should regulate it like onions because yeah. it's a plant. And they're like, oh, great. Regulate like onions is brilliant. Now, the reality is onions aren't really regulated that much. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. That's the point, Right. That's yep. so, but I use the word regulate. So they go, oh, okay. See, there's some regulation on it. Yeah. Regulate it like, like, like a carrot. That's how I want you to regulate it. Like that. Like if it says carrot, it must be a carrot. That's basically the regulation on carrot. Yeah. Right. So do it that way. Right. That's basically it. It must be what you say it is done. Good regulation. I'm fine with that. 
right? So that's how I'm gonna do it. But I used the word regulate so that people would feel comfortable, but I made it regulate like something that isn't really regulated. Yeah. Now, of course, you know what Libertarian said? Why does the government regulate it all? That's what I got from Libertarians. Yeah, and, and that's just, that's part of the, I, I guess, the Puritan, you know, veil yes. that I just can't yes. peel back that Puritan veil and, and realize that there's bigger things to be buttonheads heads over. But that's the point the is, if New York State actually regulated cannabis like onions, that would be amazing. Yeah. 100%. That would be amazing. Yes, that'd be amazing. I would take that in a heartbeat. So on top of that, in, including your 80-20 rule, I've heard you talk a little bit about Tulsi Gabbard, who is the, I mm-hmm. guess, elephant in the room for a lot of libertarians. So you, you why? Either... I, don't, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't understand it either. Why do because... people hate on her so much? I understand that it's, you know, oh, well, she supports, you know, this this ideology over here. But at the end of the day, I'm like, if we're working together with her on ending foreign intervention and foreign wars, and that's like the big hot issue right now, that's like one of the big key things that's plaguing our country and our federal government, isn't it kind of important to say, I don't care about the other stuff right now? Yeah, but but she's also still a Democrat. Yeah. She's not a libertarian. No. She's a Democrat, yeah. but, but to be clear, imagine that the entire Democrat party, Democratic Party was a whole lot more like her. That'd be a better Democratic Party. Yeah, overall. Yeah, and that, that would be a better, they'd still be Democrats, but they'd be better Democrats. I'd let, imagine if they were, imagine if, 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 if most of the Republican Party was more like Thomas Massey. Yeah. And more of the Democrats were more like Tulsi Gabbard. We'd have a better country, wouldn't we? We would. We still would. have Democrats, Republicans, but it'd be better. Yeah. But not just that. Why would we why would we dump on Tulsi when she actually brings up our name? She mentions us. She yeah. gives us respect. And now we dump on her and we wonder why people don't come to us. It's the same thing with uh, Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang has mentioned and named libertarians. So he's he running already... for mayor of my city. I know. If he mentions you, if he's got your, if he has your ideology in mind and mentions you, he cares enough and knows that you're paying attention. So you don't have to love Yang. Just stop, stop dumping on him. You don't have to love Tulsi. Just why you dump, just say, you know, I say this all the time. You can just say nothing. Yeah. That's a, that's an option. You can just say nothing. Right. I was clearly not, it was not my first choice for our presidential nominee last year. Clearly. Did I dump all over her? No. You know what I said? Nothing. Yeah. I just said nothing. You can, that's, the, that's the thing you can do. I showed it by doing it myself. She was not my number one choice. I was very clear who my number one choice was. So I lost. Then I go, see, if, if, if only Judge Jim Gray was here, things would have been better. No, I just shut up and said nothing. And she ran her campaign, Life is Good. And when she came to my city, I supported and I hosted the event and helped to raise the money there. That's it. Done. That's what I did. And I moved on. And I would have done that for anybody. So you don't have to love Tulsi. You can just say nothing. Yeah. And hopefully, if you don't, if you don't you know, dump on her, she might actually come over. Yep. And if she comes over, she'll spend time with us. And within a year, one of two things will happen. She'll realize it's not for her and she'll leave problem solved, self-selected, or she become more like one of us and she become more libertarian. Either way, it's the right answer. She'll either realize this is not for me. I'm really a Democrat and she'll leave and go there 
go back. Or say, well, you know what? I can live here. This is my place. I, I hope she comes. I hope they all come. I am greedy. I want 7 billion libertarians. That's how many I want. 7 billion. I don't get 7 billion. Fail. I want 7 billion. That's what I want. So I'll take her too and all of them. Come on over. Spend some time with us. You'll either leave and go back to where you were or you'll become more like us. And I'm happy either way. Yeah. And I think that's the best strategy moving forward, Larry. Um, I've had you on for almost an hour now. And so I'd like to start wrapping up um, in, in moving forward. Is there, is there anything that you think that we should be hyper-focused on, or maybe I shouldn't say hyper-focused on, but we should definitely prioritize over other things as we're moving forward and moving ahead? Policy, 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 policy. Yep. Rhetoric is useless. It doesn't work. And there are so many of us who think, you know, oh, this guy's great. Oh, she's great. Why? Have you heard them talk and talk about libertarianism? Who cares? Yeah. People ask me all the time, Larry, do you, when you speak, do you speak more about libertarianism or about like, you know, the party or about, or about, you know, the principles? None of that. Nobody cares. I give people libertarian solutions for their problems. That's what I do. Very often when I do an event, I'll work the room in the beginning and I'll start asking them what their issues are. Like, what's your issue? Well, what's your issue? Well, what's your issue? I work the room and I'll get two or three people who have specific issues and my presentation will be libertarian solutions for their issues. I did this, by the way. Again, I'm, I'm pumping my, my YouTube page. Go to my YouTube page if you care. The short way YouTube page. At the bottom is literally a, a, a playlist that says, if I get it right, um, can't feel the burn. Maybe it's not sharp enough for you. And it is me, <laughs> uh, six hours total, four videos, total six hours. I go down Bernie Sanders' policy page. Every single policy and I give a libertarian answer for every one of his policies. It's six hours long. Yeah. Every single one of his policies, I give a libertarian answer for. That's how you get people to come to you because you have a libertarian answer for their problem. And then they go, oh, that would actually work. And on top of it, no taxes and no force. Yeah, yes. And my entire issue is when I discuss this, we say all the time, you know, good ideas don't require force. Okay, prove it. Yeah. Prove it. Show me one. And I do constantly. If we, ideas are the only way we're going to grow this party, not rhetoric. Rhetoric is virtually useless. And we have tons of rhetoric machines. Tons of them. We have rhetoric machines all over the place. Yeah. And it hasn't worked for 50 years and it's still not going to work. If we don't have real ideas that make people think differently about government, they're never gonna think differently about government. It's gonna think, I want my side to be in charge. And that's where we are right now. Absolutely. Larry, I thank you for the uh, the time that you took to come on the show and all that. Of course. This, this is your opportunity. Uh, where can they find you on social media? I know you've already talked about the YouTube page, but talk about it again. I social am on media, all Twitter. the things. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, yep. Clubhouse. You name it, I'm on it. Uh, head over to Sharp, the Sharp Way or Larry Sharp. I'm on both. I usually have two. I have a Sharp Way page of something and a Larry Sharp page. Me, we, I'm on all of them. Anything you think I could be on, I'm probably on. Go on those things. Follow me. Subscribe to me to the best of your ability. Every subscribe I get, every like and follow I get matters because it helps with the algorithms and it makes me more valid if you do that. And it costs you nothing. So please do those likes, do those subscriptions. 
All right. Thank you, Larry. Have a good one. All right, guys. That was the interview with Larry Sharp. And that was just, that was, I absolutely loved it. And I, I find I say this a lot, but <clears throat> um, the more and more I interview people, the more and more I, I'm finding new uh, favorite interviews to do. Uh, and Larry was just, Larry's so great. He can just go. He can just go at it. He can go off the cuff. Nothing is nothing's planned. And when I do this show, when I do these interviews, I actually don't like plan out. I don't do a hardcore like outline that needs to be followed. I like to do conversations. I think the conversations flow better. I think the conversations have the potential to cover a far more than just a, a, a bullet point list of questions and possible topics to talk about. Uh, and and Larry was just great. He's just great. He's always just great. I love Larry Sharp. So check him out and his links there. What can you do for me and, and, and your boy Fritz at FritzCast? It's simple. You're either watching on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catcher. There's always stars. There's always like buttons. There's always chances to leave comments and reviews. And the more that you leave, the more that I know what's going on, the more I know what you like, what you don't like, and what we can tweak and do differently and all that. And, and, and all, all, all of your comments are appreciated and taken to heart and, uh, and applied. But I don't know if you don't leave it. You know what I mean? And, uh, and also, it also helps with the algorithms, getting discovered, roping in new listeners. It builds up the audience. You help me out. And guess what? It costs you... Goose egg, zero dollars and zero cents to hit the share button and say, guys, listen to this dude. I really like this. I really like this podcast. I really like this episode. I really like that guy. He's handsome and his voice is, you know, not bad. I know I'm not handsome and that my voice can be annoying sometimes. But either way, whatever you do, it helps, okay? Even the people that leave me the stupid little one-star reviews that make no sense, it helps because people look at that and go, that's ridiculous. I'm going to check this out just because I think that's ridiculous. Whatever you do, I love you. Keep doing it. Remember, it's at FritzQS on the Twitter, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast, FritzCast.webnode.com, which is now going to be sponsoring my blog as well. Blog, blog, blog. I do a dad blog, which I'm going to migrate over to there. I'm going to pick back up on that. I'm also just going to blog occasionally about... Uh, certain topics and 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 as as Larry and I discussed, really policy um, plans, not rhetoric. Rhetoric is boring. <laughs> rhetoric is boring and baseless and just rubbing your own ego in echo chamber. We're not gonna do that here. So do what you can for me, guys. I love you, and I'll see you next week.